I have a power-packed quote to begin with today for you. If you don't know where you are going, you will probably end up somewhere else. That's uh, from Lawrence J. Peter, who was a Canadian educator and specialist in organizational structure. I am thankful today for a lot of things, but one of the things that I am most thankful for, and I think that my wife is most thankful for, for me, is the fact that I can now pull my phone out of my pocket and call up a map that most of the time will take me to the destination that I need to be at. Now, I am uh, directionally challenged. I'm not a person that when I go a place that I remember how to drive to that place necessarily. I'm also the person that will not take the same route twice on purpose. I'll drive home all sorts of different ways. She's like, this is not efficient. Why are you driving this? This is like, this isn't the fastest way. Why don't you go the fastest way? Well, I just wanted to see what it looks like this way. But I love the fact that we have uh, maps on our phones that can even tell us uh, how to avoid traffic and, in the case of last night, floods. Um, But don't you wish that your phone could help you navigate your life? Right? Like you'd say, hey, Siri. Uh, See, and Siri just came on. That's awesome. I love that. (laughs) She's totally not going to help me with this, though. Hey, Siri, should I take a job? Should I take this job? Is this the right job for me? Or, um, Alexa, who's the right woman for me? Or how about, Google, what should I do with my life? Wouldn't that be great? Like you could just spit something back at you? Yes? No? Right? Okay. I'm just making sure you're here. The woman for you is Tyra Banks. Okay. Well, there we go. Right? Or whatever. Like you're okay. Cool. Now I know. That's the goal. So last week, John um, kind of carried us through our Bible story about Abraham. And he said that that, main, that name means the father of multitudes. And Abraham is considered to be the father of our faith for a lot of reasons, but the main one is for his trust and his devotion to God's promise to bless all of the nations of the earth through him. And listen, I, I realize that these are Bible stories, but everything that we're talking about is true. It's, it's history, right? These are things that actually happened. And I think it's really good for us to remember that as we, we talk about these things. So for years, he and his wife, Sarah, prayed. They just wanted a child. They wanted just one child. And that's all that they wanted. And for years, nothing happened. And then yesterday, John carried, or last week, I'm sorry, John carried us up to this point where Abraham finally gets that child and then God asks him to do this thing that, especially for our modern sensibilities, is just completely unthinkable, that he would bring this child and that he would give up this child for God. And so there are a lot of things that are hidden in the story there and some obvious things too that suggest that Abraham knew all along that God wasn't going to require that of him. And we won't get into that, that stuff from last week, but you can check that out for yourself. But Abraham's faith endures what is really this final test with his son Isaac. And the point that I want to make about all of that because it sets us up for what we're going to talk about this week is that Abraham unflinchingly obeys God in all circumstances. He unflinchingly obeys God. So God in that moment swears this unconditional and irrevocable, which means it can't be taken back. God swears this unconditional and irrevocable oath that Abraham's offspring will become this eternal nation that will never be destroyed by its enemies. 
which is pretty cool. And that still has ramifications in our world today. But God chose his family specifically to bless so that the entire world would be blessed through him as a result. Knowing God's purpose for his life, as far as Abraham's concerned, knowing God's purpose for his life was the key to experiencing God's power in his life. He had to know what the purpose was, the power to face the challenges of life, the power to hear God's voice and stand firm in his convictions. Those were both important things. And so if we want to experience God's power in our lives, I think that that's an important thing that we can take away from this story too. It all begins, we must know our purpose. We must know why we're here, why we were made, uh, why God has us here. And frankly, I think it's a thing that a lot of us wrestle with. So let's get into that for just a second. The Bible, remember, is a story and it's all about God revealing himself to us, right? It's not a story about all these various people per se, but it's how God is revealing himself to us through their lives and through the stories of these people. And everything began Everything that we know, like existence, our existence, the world, it all began with this desire that God had for, for he wanted people. He wanted to relate to us. He wanted a relationship with people and he wanted a friendship with us. And God promised at the very beginning when the first man and the first woman blew it, it's like, listen, I'm gonna do something and eventually I will redeem this whole thing. And then God promises later on that that redemption is gonna come through the line of Abraham. So as followers of Jesus, here's the cool thing, we get to take part in that blessing. As a result of Abraham's obedience and all of these things that God has done throughout history, we get to take advantage of this blessing that God poured out on Abraham and his descendants. And so we're gonna go to 2 Timothy here real quick. Check this out. This is chapter one, starting with verse nine. Since he delivered us and called us to a life of holiness as his people, it was not because of our deeds, but because of his own purpose and the grace which he gave to us who are united with Messiah Yeshua, or that's Jesus Christ. He did this before the beginning of time, but he made it public only now. Through the appearing of our deliverer, the Messiah Yeshua, who abolished death through the good news, revealed life and immortality. It's through this gift of grace that we have through Jesus that we are invited into. And it's the same grace that God gave to Abraham and basically everybody throughout history. It's no accident, guys. It's no accident that you're here now. It's no accident that we're all seeking God as followers, right? Because uh, we're a part of this plan, the secret plan that he has. And I love that it's even called this in scripture. He has made known to us his secret plan, it says in Ephesians 1, which by his own will he designed beforehand in connection with the Messiah and will put into effect when the time is ripe. His plan to place everything, everything means everything, right? All of it to place everything in heaven and on earth under the Messiah's headship. So what do we get from this? What is this trying to tell us? I believe one of the things that God wants us to know through the scripture is that the lives that we live and the way that we live them are part of his purpose. He has a plan for those. He wants to see things happen as a result of the way that we live our lives. And it's not about serving ourselves. It's not about running from pleasure to pleasure or even, I think, fumbling about wondering what God's will is for us because we do that so often. I know I do. So what we need to do is we need to catch. We have to grab a hold of this thing. We have to match, right? Match up to this clear purpose to respond to the grace that God has given us, to bring glory to God with three things, with our lives, right? Our loves, the things that we love, and then our relationships. 
Because again, the goal is to bring all things in heaven and earth under, into this relationship with God. And that all happens through our Messiah, Jesus. And so now we're going to fast forward in the story to Genesis 24. Some really cool things happen in there, but we're going to jump ahead because this is really important. So to catch you up, Sarah, Abraham's wife, she's died. And it was a really, really sad thing. God did some things through that. Um, Abraham's at the end of his life. And he's looking around, and Scripture says that God has blessed him in all things. Like in everything, Abraham has been blessed. Uh, all the tests that he had to endure are over at this point, and he's finished well. But in order for God's promises to come to pass, the family line must continue, right? If he's going to bless all the nations and his family's going to bless everybody, there's just one problem. Isaac doesn't have a wife. Isaac doesn't have kids. God made this promise, right, to bless the nations through Abraham's family, but Abraham still had a responsibility within that promise, didn't he? God made the promise, but Abraham still had some things that he had to do, and so Abraham formed this plan. He says to his servant, listen, I'm going to send you back to my homeland, and here's the deal. I want you to find a wife for my son, and I need you to promise me that she won't be a woman from around here, okay? I need you to go back and make sure that she's among my relatives, right? And if you don't know the story there, we'll get into a little bit more in just a second. But Abraham knew, right? His relatives, these are people he knew. He, he knew where they came from versus the people that surrounded him in Canaan. So promise me you won't choose a woman from around here, but that you will go back and find a woman from my relatives. And so the servant, he's concerned. He's like, um, well... What if I find this woman, but she's not willing to leave with me and come here? And he's like, you know what? Here's what we should do, uh, Abraham. Maybe I should just take Isaac back with me so she can kind of check him out, right? And then she'll marry him, and then we'll come back here. And Abraham's like, absolutely not. That can't happen. You're not going to take Isaac back to that country. The Lord promised this land to us, and so we're going to stay here. And there's kind of a sidebar thing there, right, that Isaac may uh, go back and meet his relatives and maybe just want to stay there. So Abraham says to his servant, listen, the Lord is going to send an angel before you, and he is going to basically make that path straight. And this is something he says, but it's almost kind of a prayer that Abraham prays. Abraham was really concerned that his son would marry into this pagan culture that surrounded them. And that would have been a big, big problem because he could have, in that moment, doing something like that, he could have forfeited his spiritual legacy. So in order for God's promises, like as a part of his purposes, Abraham's family had to continue. But not just in any fashion. It wasn't like, okay, we have to continue. We just need to find somebody, right? Because Abraham had kind of been down that road before. He's like, this can't happen in just any fashion. We have to continue to serve God. So to intermarry with the Canaanites could have caused some problems, and we see that in Israel's future. But uh, intermarrying with them could lead them into idolatry. Not to mention, Abraham knows that they don't have a future in this land, right? God's promised it to him and the people uh, that would come from his line. And let me just say here that the people that we marry, guys and gals, and it's unfortunate that all of the unmarried teens are not in the room to hear this, right? But the people that we marry they exert this powerful influence over our lives. They do. It's true. Uh, our values, our convictions, all those things are formed by the person that we marry. And I got the good end of that deal. Moreover, the people that we marry will forever shape and influence our children, which was actually one of the main things that really attracted me to my wife is the fact that she loved kids so much. 
So it's a big deal, this choice and who we marry. So Abraham trusted in this moment, like, I trust that God's going to provide this wife for Isaac. You just need to go and you just need to just go and God's going to be with you. And so his purpose was clear, right? His purpose was to find this bride to continue the line. And that guided the creation of his plan to work towards that goal. So if we want to experience more of God's power in our lives, it's not enough just to know what we're supposed to do, right? Because lots of people on this planet know what they're supposed to do, but they don't execute on it. So we guys, we must have a plan. We gotta have a plan. How are we gonna do this whole thing? It's meaningless to know your purpose if you don't have a plan to put it into action. Amen? Right? So there's this guy, many of you probably heard of him. His name's George Bernard Shaw. And he was a prominent British writer. He rose to fame uh, mainly because he was the only person to receive both the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1925 and then also an Oscar in 1938. He was also known as a really big supporter of the arts, not just, you know, literature, but all kinds of arts. And so this man, Jacob, Sir Jacob now, Sir Jacob Epstein, arrived in London in 1905, and George Bernard Shaw befriended him. Uh, He really liked his artwork. It spoke to him, and so he befriended him, and he started to champion his work Um, not only uh, in England, but around Europe and in other places. Uh, Jacob Epstein is incredibly talented. Uh, If you look at the body of his work, it's really interesting how it starts out one place and then it ends up in this whole other place. Uh, He's known for pushing the boundaries in sculpture. But some of his most well-known works are these really large format sculptures. This one is of Jacob wrestling the angel. And when this came out, when this debuted in public, it blew people's minds. British wigs flew off the heads of ladies. They're like, what in the world? What in the world is that? Right? I don't know. That was more Scottish. I don't know. Anyway, so let me give you a sense of what this is here, okay? Because it's hard to tell in this picture. This will give you a better idea of the scale. This is seven foot tall. It's more than three and a half foot by three foot wide. And it weighs 5,511 pounds. That's 2.75 tons. That is a big piece of rock. So there's this story about George Bernard Shaw when he visited uh, Epstein in his studio. He walks in and he notices this huge block of stone that's over in the corner of his workshop. And he stops and he starts to regard it. He's like, what's this for? What's this block for? And the artist responded, I don't know yet. I'm still making plans. And so George Bernard Shaw was astounded. He's like, you mean you plan your work? Why, I change my mind several times a day. And Epstein's response is great. He says, that's all very well with a four-ounce manuscript, replied the sculpture, but not with a four-ton block of stone, right? So here's the deal. Scripture tells us that our lives mean something. Our lives have weight. Our lives have weight and meaning. And that weight and meaning isn't uh, just for eternity, but that weight and meaning is also now. It's both now and then also into eternity. And that should not be left up to chance. It should not be left up to whatever we feel like or however the wind blows us, right? It should not be left up to circumstance. So if we want to experience this power of God in our lives... If we want that, we have to have a plan. We have to know how we're going to live that out and how we're going to chase after him. In Psalm 1, 
it says, blessed is the man and woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits on the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What we see in this psalm, there's a lot here actually, for this short little psalm, it's packed. The psalm is about a person who knows their purpose. And knowing that purpose, they delight in in God's word. And I love that word choice. They delight in God's word. And not only that, but they're like this tree that's so rooted in God's word that the stream comes by and it nourishes them and it produces fruit in their lives. It sustains them. Jesus straight up gave us our purpose. We talk about it all the time. Hopefully you have this memorized by now. It's Matthew 22. Verse 37 is where it starts. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He was asked a question, and so he says, this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It means all of scripture up to that point, Jesus is saying, listen, this is what it's about. All of these things, this is the goal. But here's the thing. This isn't a passive statement from Jesus, right? It's not, well, if you want to, if you're feeling it, this isn't passive at all. No, this is an active statement. It's a commandment because he's telling us to do something, isn't he? And it gives us this further clarification that our hearts are to be focused, right? Focused on God and focused on other people. So do you have a daily plan in your life that focuses your heart on God? And how are you doing at executing that plan? Growing closer to God through, uh, can only come through contact, right? Through contact with him, uh, through study of his word, alone and with other people. Consistently serving God and showing him to other people, especially people who are in need. Prayer, connecting with people who love God and kind of demonstrating that, so to speak, in your life to all people. That's how we accomplish this thing that Jesus commands us to do. So how do we match up with this? If you don't have a plan in your life, a plan that you're actually following, right, to grow and to serve and to connect with others, then you're not reaching the full potential of what Jesus has called you to do. We have to go after this. There's a noted American scholar, his name is Benjamin Franklin, and he said... By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. And I love Benjamin Franklin because he would rock these really simple statements that are so true. By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Knowing our purpose and having a plan are important if we want to see God's power in our lives. It's so huge, guys. We gotta grab a hold of this. So continuing in Genesis 24, verse 10, Abraham's servant is on it, right? He's going to execute the plan. So he takes 10 camels and all sorts of choice gifts 
and he heads to the Mesopotamian city of Nahor. Beautiful Nahor on the shores of, right? So he heads back to Abraham's homeland. And it's a long journey from where they are. And so after he gets there, it was evening. And the servant reaches the edge of the town where Abraham's relatives lived. And there was this well on the outskirts of town. Now here's what I think is interesting. The servant didn't create this huge long list of these are all the qualities I'm looking for in Isaac's future bride. Number one, she must be attractive. Number two, right, like going down this line. He didn't do that. We don't see this list of criteria. All he does is he prays. And here's why. Because he knew that God had this way better person picked out for Isaac than he could ever hope to determine uh, through his humanness and lists and interviews. Like imagine him setting up a little desk by the well, having all the women of the town fill out little applications maybe flashing around some gold kind of thing. No, he doesn't do that. He prays. He's like, God, you need to handle this. And I would just say that the quest for any match, right, ladies and gentlemen, should be bathed in prayer. So, but here's what's cool about this. Before he even leaves on this journey, you know, Abraham's statement about the angel, all of that, we know that prayer dominated this process. Abraham's servant was able to go out in full faith and confidence in God's help because he knew that they'd brought all of this to God. And so he devises one test, and I'm not necessarily suggesting this, but if you can find a well on the outskirts of a town, if you want to try it, go for it. Um, But he's like, here's the test. Here's what we're going to do. As the women were coming out to the well to draw water for the evening, here's what he prayed. It's in Genesis 24, starting with verse 12. He says, Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you've shown steadfast love to my master. So the next time you want to give this a shot, you can, go, you can find the well, someone with camels, it should work out great for you. But in this case, this test is kind of foolproof, really. It would eliminate a disrespectful and unkind girl, and it would surely indicate a divine choice. At least that's our hope, right? Because there's no, no ill-mannered or stuck-up girl is going to waste her time trying to water 10 thirsty camels. She's not going to do it. In fact, even if the girl was kind and gracious, this is a really, really big commitment as the sun's going down and you're getting water for your family's home for the rest of the evening and for tomorrow because watering 10 thirsty camels would take 100 to 150 gallons of water. So this is, this is a pretty courageous prayer. This is pretty big. And so before he'd even finished praying this prayer, she shows up. He sees Rebecca approaching him with the jar on her shoulder. And I kind of imagine this like a movie, you know, like the, uh, the golden light of the sun setting coming across the land. She's carrying the jar on her shoulder and it goes to slow motion, right? The wind blows. Her curl kind of comes out from under her head covering as she's walking forward, right? It's gleaming in her eye. Here's the thing, it's like, 
She was beautiful. She was virtuous. And she was available. It's important. Those are important things, right? God had to have orchestrated this event way before ever hearing the servant's prayer. I love this. He wasn't even finished praying before he saw her approaching. How cool would that be, ladies and gentlemen? Like, you're not even done praying and God's already answering it. Here's the thing. I think that that's happening actually all the time. We just don't see necessarily the immediate effects of the slow motion walk up. But God's always working. This is pretty amazing. So everything went exactly as he prayed. And then after Rebecca, and I love this, in scripture it says that she was like running around to get this done. And I don't know if she had a curfew or what was up, but like she is working hard. So after uh, she gets this done, she's done rushing around. The servant gives her several pieces of jewelry. And he asks her, who's your family? And is there room at your father's house for me and my traveling companions to spend the night? And here's her response. She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. So she tells the servant the names of her father and grandfather and her servant knew that they were Abraham's relatives. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner, right? Like, it's on. This is happening. She met all of the criteria. I mean, yeah, she was beautiful. She was unmarried, and her background check came clean. That was great. But what's awesome about this story and what's amazing about her is her inner beauty is the thing that's on display here. It's almost like her attractiveness is just kind of the sidebar. It says that she was industrious. The Torah tells us that she worked quickly. She ran back and forth to the well. She was obviously strong because she's carrying gallons of water in these jars. Yeah, right? That's awesome. But here's the thing. She wasn't a servant girl. She wasn't a servant girl at all. In fact, she was the high-born daughter of the house of Bethuel, and still she consented to give the servant a drink. And not only that, she offered to draw water for his camels. And that indicates that she possessed this spirit of humility and compassion. She actually cared about the camels even. This also showed in her answer. Because she not only says, we have plenty of room for you guys, but we have lots of straw and things for your camels to eat too. She was generous and she was kind. And she didn't regard herself as too dignified or important to help or serve someone that was in need, no matter whether they were a servant or otherwise. That's important. If you're looking for a mate, that's what you're after, right? How much time did, I'll just put myself in this, how much time did I waste, right, chasing after a stuck-up girl in middle school or high school? I'm sure some of you are with me on that, right? We, you know, you chase after the people that are unattainable, I guess, until... I hit the jackpot. I should have just waited. I wasted a lot of time. So to all the single ladies and gents, imagine how different this world would be if we as men and women, and really married people, I'm speaking to you too, because I think these are the things that we want to champion and call out of our spouses. But what if we valued humility and kindness and concern for others? What if we valued industrious of, industriousness of people or hospitality? Those things above maybe how someone looks or their uh, athletic body shape or their status or their prestige or any of those kinds of things. Like what if the things that really matter, and trust me, these are the things that last in people. 
What if we valued that stuff more than how much somebody makes or something like that? This world would look completely different. Anyway, on with the story. Genesis 24, 26. The man, the servant, he bowed his head in this moment, which might have been kind of awkward if you think about it. He bows his head in this moment as soon as she says, yes, you can stay at our house. He's like, Lord, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. And as for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. One try was all it took, right? And then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Of course she did. Where did you get that nose ring? There was this guy at the well and he said, right? And he's coming to stay. Oh, right? Everybody starts to scramble. So here's the deal. What's the lesson here? That's what you're asking me. What are we trying to learn from this part? Here's what it is. We have to persist in prayer and in praise. And that's what happens here with his servant at the end. The final piece of experiencing God's power in our lives, right? We must know our purpose. We must have a plan. And then we have to persist in prayer and in praise. We take hold of this purpose that God wants to be glorified in our lives. Like we grab it by the horns and we say, this is gonna happen. And we create a plan that makes that a reality in our daily lives. But we constantly filter that plan through prayer and through praise. And both of those things are important. Before this journey began, I said it already, this, it was all bathed in prayer. But not just the stuff that I told you about, but think about it this way. Abraham's request, right? God goes before his servant. Abraham's prayer for God to help, or the servant's prayer for God to help him find the right girl, I'm sorry, But what about all of those prayers throughout the years of Abraham and Sarah when they couldn't have a child and they wanted one so bad? Imagine the kinds of things that that they prayed. And and if you've ever struggled with infertility or, uh, or even you have kids, one of the things you pray for your kids is, God, do something with this kid. God, help this kid to grow strong. God, help this kid to follow you even in spite of how much I might have messed them up as their dad, Right? All of the prayers that Abraham and Sarah had prayed led to this moment, guys. Those prayers mattered, and God answers prayer. He hears. You're just stacking them up on the desk, right? Oh, here's another one. Yeah, they're praying for their kids again. All right, I'm going to put it right there. I'm on that. I'm working on it. God wants this relationship with us, guys. He's not hiding from us. He's not. Making our needs known in prayer is a part of that whole thing. But another part of prayer is listening and getting to know God's character. Seeking his guidance, seeking his wisdom, and allowing him to speak to us because he still speaks today. Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is one, if you don't have it circled in your Bible or highlighted on your phone, you need to do that. God still speaks today. One of the most common things that people ask me about or want to talk about when it comes to prayer is this. They're like, you know, I pray. I do. I really do, Pastor Bill. I pray, but I don't feel like I hear God speak. Or I pray and I don't really feel like he's listening to me. Scripture is full of verses like Jeremiah 29, 12, where it says, when we call upon God, he hears us. He hears. 
And I would suggest to you here, part of that is making him the focus of our ways too, right? Acknowledging him in all of our ways. Acknowledging isn't just saying, hey God, cool, right? He's actually carving the path for the way that you're walking in this illustration. But here's the thing. Don't beat yourself up about this. Because I want to remind you that giving your, your life over to God, it's not, I mean, it, yeah, it, it may start, there may be a spark like this one thing that happens where you finally surrender your life to God and to his will. But, but that's not the end. That's just the beginning. Amen, Christians, right? Right? It's a journey. It continues. There's growth. It's like training. It's like the training montage from the Karate Kid or from Rocky, right? Like the music's playing and he's doing sit-ups in the rafters of the barn because he's starting, he wants to get strong. This is a journey that we're on. We give our lives over to God, but it's this gradual process. Living with this purpose to bring him glory in our lives and having this plan to make that a daily reality are all parts of what help us discern the direction of his spirit. How can we expect to be directed by him if we don't even recognize his voice when he's speaking? You might know... uh, the world-famous pastor, Max Lucado, he's also written tons and tons of great books. Here's what he says about prayer, and this really spoke to me this week. He says, our prayers may be awkward. Amen, yes, all the time. Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. There's, it's not an incantation. It's, it's not any kind of magical thing that we're doing. We're speaking, other than the fact that we're speaking to the king of the universe, which is kind of a big deal. But the power doesn't lie in us. The power lies in him. All he asks for is the effort, right? Pick up the phone. Like anything that we want to get better at, guys, it takes practice, doesn't it? It does. Walking with God's the same way. So don't give up in prayer if you don't feel like you're hearing from God. You have to keep going in faith just like Abraham did. I mean, how long did Abraham and Sarah wait for the answer to their prayers? 80 plus years, right? Have you been praying 80 plus years for anything? I don't think anyone in this room has. Maybe. Maybe. They had to wait a long time. But all along the way in Abraham's story, what do you see? You see him building altars and praising God even when it didn't seem like his prayers were being answered, right? God makes all these promises, but nothing happens immediately. And still, he's making altars and he's worshiping God. He was faithful in acknowledging the promise that God had made him and the blessings that he already had in his life. And frankly, that's not something that we're very good at sometimes. Experiencing the power of God in our lives comes through prayer and praise, ladies and gentlemen. We see this in the example of the servant too, right? When his prayers are answered, what happens? It drives him to his knees in worship. He's so thankful in that moment. And worship, guys, is simply a response to who God is and what he's already done. Loving God. That's our purpose, right? Loving God, it's supposed to consume 
all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And that's what it looks like to worship God with your life. So what we do is we respond by taking action to flesh out more of God's character in this world. That's like what our day-to-day gig, no matter whether you go to work at the construction site or whether you're at school, that you're fleshing out like you want with the place that you, you want the campsite to look even better than when you left it, right? Whatever world you're walking into because of your presence as one of God's people, when you walk away from that or you step out of that, you want people to miss his presence being there because you're not there. We want to flesh out more of God's character in this world. So here's the question. How do you match up in these things today? Do you know your purpose? Do you have a plan? And do you persist in prayer and praise? Uh, Last night, I got caught in that rain that happened. And I've never been outside in rain like that before. And I had to run from one place to our car that was parked several blocks away. And let me tell you, by the time that I got there, I've never been that wet. Like seriously, uh, everything that I had on all the way, like my hat, all the way down to my skivvies, and my wallet is usually here, everything, I could have wrung water out of everything. I made my wife really sad this morning when she got into the van and the seat was still wet because of it, okay? It was like I was completely drenched in water. But I started thinking about that this morning about the way that God wants our lives to be saturated with him. And if you heard me walk into our house last night, you would have gotten a really good sense of what that could look like. Right? So imagine this. Imagine that your life and my life are so saturated in God, like in prayer and in praise, that we can't help but leak all over everybody around us. How cool would that be? That's what we're supposed to look like. We are supposed to be so saturated that it just, if you're around me, I'm sorry you're getting wet. This is just how it works. It's going to be crazy. Welcome to the Viking Voyager of my life. Here we go. Down the hill, everybody's wet, right? We have to know our purpose. We have to have a plan that brings that purpose into reality and our lives have to be saturated in prayer and marked by these altars of praise. So the question is, how are you going to respond to God today? Would you bow your hearts with me? I just want to remind you of a couple things and then we're going to pray. But God wants you to know, I think, today that he wants us all to know that his purpose is to be glorified in our lives. And so again, what that means is that our lives are about so much more than our happiness or our pleasure. So what's your plan for that? Are you pursuing God each day? Or are you like this boat that doesn't have a sail and you're just drifting whichever way the wind and the storm blow you? Maybe today you're feeling powerless in your life and maybe that's because you're not tapping into the source. Maybe you lack regular time with God. Or maybe you're here today and you know your purpose, but your walk has become this thing that's kind of dry and stale and maybe even a challenge to maintain. God promises to answer when we call him. He promises to make your path straight if you put him first. 
And here's the thing, you may only have enough light for that next step that you're gonna take, but he will go before you. And the truth is, sometimes we're just lazy and we give up too soon. Or sometimes we don't like what we're hearing, so we ignore it. If God did nothing else for us, he's still worthy of praise for who he is. But in truth, he's always doing things if we'll just stop and look around. There is power when we respond to him in prayer and in praise. God, I pray um, today in this moment with all these fine folks that are here and those who might hear my voice on the podcast that right where we're at, I pray for that fire that we sang about earlier that you would be that fire in our hearts, that that spark of who you are, that, that flooding of our lives through your spirit. I pray, God, that you would just rush into our lives with power and with strength. For those of us who are weary or those of us who feel like times are dry or maybe are struggling, um, that you would just be refreshing for those of us God that uh, maybe feel directionless that you would give us a focus and a clarity on the purpose that you have for us and how you want to see that look in our day to day life with you God that you would help us that you would give us the strength in the times when we're weak or we don't have it in us to take another step I pray our hearts would burn with the fire for you so that this world would see your purpose in us and that it would be so wonderful and so lovely and so attractive that you would be irresistible. And lastly, God, I pray that you direct our lives and that you would help us plan and make space in our lives to commune with you daily. Empower each of us through your spirit as we chase after you with everything that we have. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.